From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. After spending weeks locked in secret negotiations with the Nationals on climate policy, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is now heading to the UN Climate Summit in Glasgow. But while his deal with the minor party might solve an internal political issue, it still leaves Australia without an ambitious emissions reduction plan. And that could lead to more political trouble for Scott Morrison, as the federal Labor opposition weighs up whether it should fight the upcoming election on climate policy. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on Scott Morrison's climate plan and the danger it might pose to his prime ministership. It's Friday, October 29. Paul, last night, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, left Canberra to fly to Glasgow. He's about to take part in COP26, the UN Climate Summit. He's arriving after striking a deal with the Nationals on emissions reductions. So let's talk about the position that Australia is taking to Glasgow. Tell me about it. Well, Ruby, while debate in Australia has been focused on what kind of political deal the Prime Minister would eventually strike with his junior coalition partners, the Nationals, The bigger question is whether the government's rebadged climate policy will actually be enough to avert runaway climate change. On that metric, it's clear the government has failed. This week, the United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has been urging world leaders to embrace more ambitious targets for 2030, which is not what Morrison unveiled this week. And our plan to reach what will be our new official target of reaching net zero emissions by 2050. What he did release was a very vague plan to reach net zero emissions by 2050, a policy he stridently opposed at the last election. Our plan works with Australians to achieve this goal. Our plan enables them. It doesn't legislate them. It doesn't mandate them. It doesn't force them. The government's also made it clear that it isn't intending on using legislation to reduce emissions, instead focusing on technology, much of which doesn't yet exist. It's not a plan at any cost. There's no blank checks here. It will not shut down our coal or gas production or exports. Examples of that technology include things like carbon capture and storage, something many climate scientists argue is unproven, and in fact will deepen our reliance on fossil fuels at a time when we need to be shifting to renewables very quickly. We won't just be measuring the fact that we'll be reducing emissions, we'll be measuring the fact that we're creating jobs. In fact, the government's plan points to an increase in natural gas consumption, which really sums up how underwhelming it is. Okay, so the government here in Australia has committed to a policy of net zero by 2050, but the focus of the Glasgow summit is actually on 2030 targets. So what is our position on that? Well, Ruby, uh, it was a confusing message from the Prime Minister. Our official target is to reduce emissions by 26 to 28% by 2030. Uh, That's what we adopted at Paris five years ago. And they're significantly less ambitious than what other developed nations are now signing up to. You'll be supported by our updated projection that will see us exceed our 2030 target with emissions reduction of up to 35% by 2030. 
This week, Morrison said Australia was on track to exceed those targets. He said we were likely to hit a 35% reduction by 2030. But he refused to commit to it as a target for Glasgow. We will keep our commitment, though, when it comes to our pledge that we made and took to the last election of 26 to 28%. So despite all the bluster over net zero by 2050, Australia's heading to Glasgow with one of the weakest medium-term targets in the developed world. It also means that Morrison's heading to the upcoming federal election with those feeble reduction targets, which has shifted a lot of the focus now onto Labor and what they might be offering as an alternative. So does Labor have a climate policy yet, Paul? What are they proposing? (laughs) Well, Ruby, I'm glad you asked. Labor doesn't have its own target for 2030. All right, let's talk about Labor's lack of a target. Why do we have to wait until after the Glasgow Climate Summit for that? What can we possibly learn in the next few weeks that we don't already know? Well, Fran, the Australian people are entitled after... The party's climate spokesman, Chris Bowen, says Labor's trying to give the government room to shift and arrive at a policy in Glasgow that Labor could support. Uh, We wanted to give the government a chance to get this right because actually bipartisanship would be good here. If the government actually came up with a decent plan, we would have given it bipartisan backing and that would be a good thing for the country. We wanted to give them the space to do it. Labor's currently debating what its 2030 climate targets should be. But you can bet that whatever they are, whether they're 5% or 50% more ambitious than the government's, Morrison will portray them as economy-destroying. But given the Business Council, the New South Wales Coalition government, are backing cuts of 50% by 2030, Morrison's attacks this time will be struggling for traction and credibility. We'll also be announcing detailed plans, more than the steaming pile of nothingness that you saw from the government of the day yesterday, the steaming pile of nothingness that Scott Morrison pretends is a plan. We'll be announcing a very strong... Bowen, for his part, says that Labor will be announcing detailed plans soon. And that means, Ruby, we could be facing the most climate policy-centric election since Howard versus Rudd back in 2007. We'll be back after this. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash Newsletters. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Paul, we don't know exactly when the next federal election will be held, but Let's talk about how things are looking at the moment for the major parties. How are Labor and the Coalition positioned in terms of their standing with voters? Well, right now, Ruby, Labor has a commanding lead. In the latest news poll, it's ahead 54 points to 46 in two-party preferred terms. And its lead's been consistent over the past six months. 
And if those numbers were replicated on election day, Labor would win in a landslide. Weighing heavily, though, on the opposition's brains trust is how to build on the entrenched lead and not have Morrison snatch victory from the jaws of defeat as he did in 2019. Party insiders I've spoken to have no doubts Morrison is itching for a scare campaign, any sort of scare. But so far, Albanese has denied him any leverage on tax cuts, nuclear submarines or indeed coal industry jobs. Mm. So what is the coalition planning to do, Paul, do you think, to try and close that gap? It's a good question, Ruby. How to repeat the so-called miracle win of 2019 is weighing heavily on the minds of key government figures. This week, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg told the Coalition Party Room to look back to John Howard's come-from-behind win in 2004 for inspiration. He said that win was based on a campaign of who do you trust? And that's what his colleagues should be focusing on. But there is a big problem with that line of attack. And what's the problem, Paul? Well, back then, John Howard made Labor's Mark Latham the issue. Mark Latham has to be John Howard and history tomorrow. It is going to be much closer than those published polls suggest. Much of it based on feedback from his MPs that voters in their electorates had grave doubts about Latham, despite the then opposition's consistent lead in the polls. The kicks will not only hurt, but if there are enough of them, they'll kick us out. During the campaign, Latham was dogged by a story that he broke a taxi driver's arm in a dispute over a fare. And at the 2004 election, Labor's lead only started to evaporate towards the end of the campaign. The gruelling six-week federal election campaign is over. Both major leaders are saying it's too close to call, but that didn't stop them wrestling for the upper hand today. And then ultimately disappeared after Latham's televised, aggressive handshake nearly yanked off Howard's arm on the eve of the election. It's the image of the campaign. Facing off on the final day. Well, Albanese dismisses the comparisons. He rightly says he's no Mark Latham. And he told his MPs this week that the current coalition government is a shambles. And Ruby, no matter what you think about the Howard government, it certainly wasn't a shambles. You know, I think instead of the 2004 federal election, perhaps a bigger historical precedent for the coalition is 1987, the infamous Joe for Canberra campaign. Right, so what happened in 87, Paul, and how do you think that the Joe for Canberra campaign relates to the current predicament facing the coalition? Well, that's when the Queensland Nationals, under the rogue leadership of then-Premier Joe Bjorka-Peterson, forced the Federal National Party to go to the election with a different tax policy to the Liberals. There are shades of that in terms of the current dispute over climate. You know, at the weekend, nine of the 21 Nationals are understood to have voted against net zero by 2050, most of them Queenslanders. Uh, at the last election, we said that a 45% emissions reduction cut would cost more than 300,000 jobs. Uh, we ridiculed the idea of a, a net zero emissions target. The most high profile of them, former Resources Minister Matt Canavan, and he's pledged to campaign against the target all the way to polling day. I am going to campaign against the policy and I will continue to do that. 
In another act of defiance, the endorsed Liberal National Party candidate for the Rockhampton-based seat of Flynn, Colin Boyce, has similarly pledged to campaign against the government's target. And what I want to know is if we're going to go down this net carbon uh, zero emissions rabbit hole, I want to know how much it's going to cost. Back in 1987, Labor Prime Minister Bob Hawke, well, he capitalised on the disarray, he called a snap midwinter election and he duly won. Well, the other factor the coalition is certainly worried about, aside from their palpable disunity, is the impact of billionaire Clive Palmer. Already, Palmer's spending millions on a multi-media campaign against other political parties. The net zero target features prominently. There are billboards all over the Sunshine State, Facebook advertisements and almost daily newspaper front page ads in the national and state print media. The latest message, zero emissions, zero jobs, zero future. Now, sure, Labor is the target too, but Palmer's causing the Nationals enormous grief, and he's a huge distraction for them. Morrison, on this, is being torn from the left and the right. Palmer's campaign looks a bigger problem for him this time than for Albanese, and that would be a major difference on the last election. And in the meantime, Ruby, the planet is slowly frying. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ruby. Bye. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday paper, the whole story. Also in the news today... Former New South Wales MP Daryl Maguire has given evidence about his relationship with the former Premier Gladys Berejiklian at a New South Wales anti-corruption watchdog hearing. Maguire has said that he and the former Premier Gladys Berejiklian loved each other, would live together occasionally and contemplated having a child. ICAC is investigating whether Berejiklian breached the public's trust in the course of her relationship with Maguire, including whether she failed to declare a conflict of interest in helping award multi-million dollar grants to Maguire's electorate. Gladys Berejiklian is scheduled to testify before the inquiry today. And the Victorian government has introduced tighter vaccination rules, which will come into effect tonight from 6pm. Victorians seeking to be exempt from vaccine mandates will need to apply to the Australian Immunisation Register and only those meeting limited health requirements will be able to obtain a certificate. The state recorded 25 COVID-19-related deaths on Thursday, the largest number reported in a 24-hour period this year. 7am is a daily show from the Monthly and the Saturday Paper. It's produced by Elle Marsh, Cara Jensen-McKinnon, Anu Hasbold and Alex Gow. Our senior producer is Ruby Schwartz and our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio.
I'm Ruby Jones. See you next week.